Speaking the truth in love. It's a phrase that Paul uses in our reading today, and I'm guessing you probably have heard that yourself. Now, we know what it means, right, that uh, there's a disagreement between two people or two groups. One side strongly feels that they know the truth, that the truth is on their side, and they want to relay that truth to the people who are on the other side. And rather than speaking with arrogance or anger, they hope to speak that truth in love. It's a good idea. It's a great idea, actually. But isn't it so hard to actually happen? And think about it. I'm on this side. We're on this side. And I'm certain, we're certain that we know what the truth is on whatever. And then you have that person in that group on the other side. And that person in that group, I, I'm betting are certain that they know the truth too. And no matter how I want to say the truth to them, and no matter how I might say it or how nice I might say it, it's going to come across as, well, I'm right and, well, you're wrong. And even if I don't say it that bluntly, if I say it really nice, it's going to be hard for it to come across as anything but love, I would think. And even though Paul writes this statement, and Paul writes this statement specifically for Christians, I think that we Christians are some of the worst at actually following this idea. We follow a Jesus who has said that he is the way and the truth and the life. And we take from that that we know what that means. That we know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus like we do, well, they're wrong. And so we use the Bible to want to prove how right we are. And when we speak truth like that, it comes across as anything but love. For instance, I think of women who have been told by their churches, by their pastors, that they need to go back to their abusive husband. Because, of course, the Bible says to. I think of the LGBT teenager who gets told how wrong they are and then gets the Bible verses thrown at them like stones to remind them. I think of white Christians who for centuries quoted Bible to justify slavery. And then when slavery was outlawed, they took up the Bible again to point out how God has ordained people of color to be inferior. And yet we're still faced with this phrase, speaking the truth in love. This week as I was reading over this text and reading the Greek of the text, I came across something I didn't know. It seems that the English phrase, speaking the truth in Greek, is really just one word. That word is alethuantes. The, the word literally means truthing. There's no sense of speaking in the Greek at all. It's just truthing. So in other words, a better translation would be truthing in love. It's much more than speaking, than just speaking. It's about doing the truth, living 
the truth. And for us Christians, doing and living the truth means doing and living in the way that is Jesus, who is the truth. And what I'd like to do this morning is to go back. I'm going to bounce around in this scripture a little bit, and it might confuse you, but it won't be the first time. I want to start with these earlier verses and then jump back to this truthing in love. Our text today in chapter 4 marks a shift in the, in the book of Ephesians. Throughout the first three chapters in Ephesians, Paul's emphasis has been on what God has done, what God's love has done for us. God's love for us has made us one. God's love for us is greater than we could ever imagine. And beginning with chapter 4, Paul's going to shift a bit and now say, because of this great love God has done for us, has shown us, here's how we should respond. Chapter 4 begins, I therefore, therefore, because of what God has done, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk the walk that God intends for us. And then in the verses that follows, Paul describes what that life, that calling is like. And here's where I get confusing because I'm going to start at the end of that description because I want to build up to the first part of it. One way that we are called to live is to be people who make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Paul says. We are called to live peace and to maintain the unity. Maintain means keep something that's already there. We have already been made one. And Paul calls on us to keep that oneness that God has made for us. And later on, he'll emphasize that oneness by, by seven different times, seven being the perfect number, stressing the oneness in different ways. He'll say this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. God has made us one Paul calls us to maintain that oneness through the bond of peace. That's a part of our calling. And then I want to go backwards again. Still considering what it means to live out our call. Paul says to bear with one another in love. Bearing with one another reminds us that living a life of love and community isn't always easy, but we know that. Especially as we seek to live among others who are different than we are. But now I want to go backwards again, still reflecting on how we are called to live by God. We're called to practice gentleness and patience, Paul says, and for me, that jumps me to another scripture in the book of Galatians where, God, where Paul lifts up the fruit of the Spirit, and it includes those two. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All ways that we live out our calling. And now to the very last word, which is actually the first word. And I think Paul does this on purpose because I think... 
This is Paul's primary example of saying, this is how we are called to live our life as Christian. We have been called, Paul says, with all humility. The Greek word for humility can also be translated to be lowliness in mind. In the culture of that day, and really in every culture since, Having humility or a lowliness of mind is frowned upon. It's not something you do. In that day, and and throughout history really, there was a strict hierarchy in society. You had those on top, and then you had those below them, and below them, and below them. And it was very rigid. You didn't move up and down. Those up here would give allegiance to those above, And those above would be the patrons of these ones below. And they would provide protection and financial stuff. In other words, those on top would look after those below. And then it keeps going down. And it was very rigid. And it was based in political and family ties. In other words, there wasn't any place for humility. Now yes, if you were below someone above you... There was this sense of lowliness toward that person, but that's different than humility. Humility is being up here and stepping down here, and you just didn't do that. You still don't do that, and yet that's what Paul says. The very first expression of living our calling is to live with all humility, even though that's contrary to how we have been taught to live. And then, after reading these traits of what it means to live out our calling, Paul says to truthing in love, living the truth, doing the truth in love. And he says that as we are truthing in love, we grow in who we are in Christ, building up the body of Christ, being built up in love. Perhaps you notice that word love is throughout this text. It's throughout the whole book of Ephesians. We're supposed to bear with one another in love. We're supposed to live and do the truth in love. We're supposed to be built up as a people in love. And it's an agape love. Agape love is that unconditional love that's shown us by God. It's a love that's for us no matter what we do, no matter who we are, no matter how we respond to that love. It's a love that's always there. We're never going to be able to be that in this life because only God can do that. But that's how we're called to seek to live. But man, that's hard. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not really good about being a person of humility. I think really for any of us who feel like we have a leg up in the world, it's hard to practice humility. I would suggest for those of us who are Christian, we have that leg up. For those of us who are white, for us who are male, for us who are American, for those of us who have material wealth, for those of us who are straight, 
Because in each of those settings, we have a built-in leg up, a built-in advantage over those who are not like us. And it's hard to practice humility for me. Let me offer up an example of what I'm trying to talk about. I just finished a book this week. It's a really good book. It's called Reconstructing the Gospel, Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion by a man named Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who I think is kind of a professor at Duke or something like that. It's an excellent book that tries to help us white people see that even if we don't consider ourselves racist, racism is so much a part of our society and the systems that keep our society going that we benefit just because we are white. In the book, the author tells the story of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, who would become the father of modern monasticism, toward the end of his life, he said that there's three practices that really sums up the gospel, the way of Jesus. The first practice is listening. The author says that for us white people, and I would suggest that for in any way that we are having a leg up over others, in our society, he suggests that this practice of listening really means to just shut up and listen. We who hold the control, we who know we are right and better, we need to begin by shutting up and listening. And the author says, and listening in particular to the voices of those who have been rejected. Who are those that are rejected? Maybe it's the voice of the black person who's angry. Or perhaps it's the voice of the gay teenager who's been shunned by his family and church. Perhaps it's the voice of the immigrant who's fleeing violence in their own nation. Perhaps it's the person who's on welfare but really isn't the lazy good-for-nothing that welfare folks tend to be labeled as. I think St. Benedict would suggest that we just shut up and listen. I think the Apostle Paul would say that would be truthing and love. That's the first practice, listening. The second practice is staying put. If you're actually still listening to anything I'm saying... Hopefully what you've heard makes you uncomfortable. I know it makes me uncomfortable because I know for me, I don't want to shut up and listen. I want to give the answers. But instead of giving the answers, I'm being called to practice humility to shut up and listen. And that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me want to get away from the situation that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me want to run away. Therefore, the second practice is to stay put. Don't run away. Don't build up a wall of indifference or disgust. And don't start talking and saying how they are wrong and I am right. Listening, staying put, the third practice is Constantly reforming your life, Benedict said. Keep reading about the way that Jesus lived his life, because that is how we are called to live ours. 
And don't just read your Bible. If we will just listen, if we will just stay put, God is going to work on us. And God will use other people to work on us. And we will be changed. As Paul says, we'll grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. It's each of us promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. I'll give you my example. When I was on vacation this summer, I got a text from a friend of mine, Regina. She's come to church here a few times. She helps out at the food pantry. And she said, congratulations. And I didn't ask why. She fig- I figured she was congratulating me for being at the beach. Well, I got back home and was checking my email the next week. And while I was gone, a group that I'm in called Focus on Race Relations Frankfurt, for Frankfurt, uh, nominated and voted me to be the vice president while I was on vacation. That's why she was congratulating me. This group has pushed me in my thinking and doing. And the speaker, the talker, the preacher that I am, the pretty much only child person that I am, um, it's really hit on me to shut up and to stay put. And as I do those things, I'm finding myself being changed and challenged. And I'm trusting and hoping and praying that that is God's Spirit pushing me. And hopefully helping others to be pushed as well. Listen. Stay put. Let yourself be changed. How's God calling you in these ways? And to do that with all humility and gentleness and patience. Amen.